I'm not afraid. Are you? The Watchman Speaks discusses biblical solutions to modern-day dilemmas. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel. I pray you listen. Welcome to The Watchman Speaks. I'm your host, Lonnie Richardson. Today's topic is something that I've wrestled with greatly over the past few weeks. It is one that I've had a great deal of difficulty arranging my thoughts and organizing those thoughts for conveyance. That tells me one of two things. I have missed the unction of the Holy Spirit and I have no idea what I'm talking about. Or, this is a major message for someone directly from God and the devil doesn't want it delivered. I opt for the latter. But the reason being is that this particular message is one that I'd hoped would fall to someone else. In my heart and my spirit, I know that what I'm going to share is the truth. But in my flesh, I'd hope that I could pass it on to someone else who is perhaps more qualified. Now, I realize that God qualifies his messengers, and I am not in any way indicating that I am so qualified. However, when I've sat down to pray about this week's episode, this topic has always come to the forefront. So be it. Mercy, grace, and the gospel are topics that seem to be misunderstood by many Christians this day and age. Isn't this no wonder, considering how many pastors and preachers have twisted these topics to turn a dollar in book sales? I've read these books, and frankly, it's all I can do to keep from losing my cookies in the trash can, which is where those books have landed. Many have taken mercy and grace and manufactured what I call a cotton candy gospel. It's all sweet, warm, and fuzzy. Many have taken mercy and made it marvelous. And it is marvelous. It's just not marvelous in the way that some present it, as if mercy is something that is owed to us. Others have taken grace on the run and slid way out of bounds to the extent that there is no right or wrong. They combine this owed mercy and greasy grace and present a cotton candy gospel. Well... It just ain't so. Follow along closely. I've got a lot of tracks to make. In the Old Testament, mercy is mentioned or translated as mercy approximately 51 times, depending on the translation that you adhere to. 27 of those times is a direct reference to the mercy seat in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and First Chronicles. In other words, mercy is attached to the atonement of the mercy seat which leads me to believe that it's attached to the atonement of the blood of Christ. Twenty-four other times the word translated as mercy indicates love, or to meet someone with love, to take pity, to have sympathy, to have compassion, to pardon, or to have favor with. But there is one word for mercy that indicates loyalty, joint obligation, and faithfulness. Let me repeat that. There is one word for mercy that indicates loyalty, joint obligation, and faithfulness, indicating that there are two or more parties involved. And that word is hased. 
See, mercy is mentioned approximately 68 times in the New Testament. 28 times the word is elio, meaning to have mercy, had mercy, received mercy, or shown mercy. 24 times the word is elios, meaning mercy or compassion. Only once in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 5 is mercy referenced as a means of propitiation and that at the mercy seat, and that could not be related or spoken of in any detail. However, the word for mercy, said, is also translated as loving kindness in many translations, approximately 183 times. Maintaining the meaning of loyalty, joint obligation, and faithfulness, indicating that there are two or more parties involved. Loving kindness, said, is mercy. Mercy is the provision for and protection from what I deserve. Grace, as I've been told, is unmerited favor and provision that I do not deserve. I wonder who came up with that. Grace, by whatever definition you wish to apply to it, is received by faith. And what do I mean when I say by whatever dish definition you want to apply to it? Well, in most of the resources that I have, grace is defined as grace. A word defined of itself can pretty much be given any definition a person wants to give to it. Paul clears it up nicely for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it appears that there's nothing we can do to earn grace. It is a gift from God. That means it's free. But the gift does not come with a cheap price tag. For grace you have been saved through faith. Hmm. What does that mean? It appears that grace is the favor of God to provide a sacrificial lamb whom we accept by faith. And by that grace and that sacrifice we are saved if we have the faith to believe it. So something is required of us, and that something is faith. God's grace is simply the offer of the sacrifice. We are given the choice to accept it in faith or not. We don't deserve that opportunity. That is the unmerited favor of God. There are far too many who want to think that the unmerited favor of God is what they have reasoned it to be. So don't believe everything that you think. But many have taken the unmerited favor of God and the concept of grace and made it so greasy that it's hard to hold on to. Grace is not greasy. Grace is sticky. And it's not that grace should stick to you, but rather it's you who should be sticking to grace. You see, grace is mentioned approximately 121 times in the New Testament and 11 times specifically in the Old Testament. Mercy is mentioned approximately 274 times throughout. Mercy is what keeps you living long enough for grace to find you, if you're listening for it. Romans chapter 1 verse 5 says, Through whom we have received grace. Who's it talking about? Jesus. Through whom we have received grace, or the provision of Messiah, and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all Gentiles for his name's sake. Does faith require obedience? Not according to those who peddle the greasy grace concept. 
According to most authors, pastors, and a couple that I know of in particular, once you have received grace, you're home free. You can do no wrong. But when conveying this concept of grace, they fail to delve into the truth of faith required to receive grace and what that faith is capable of accomplishing. If we have the faith, we have the grace. If we have the grace, we have the ability to be obedient to the faith. What does that mean? If we truly have the faith to receive grace, then we are able to live accordingly to that faith by which grace is received and steward the grace that has been given to us by faith. Grace is the offer to give a redeeming Savior, which we accept by faith, that is offered freely. It is our decision to discern whether the offer is real or not. We don't deserve the offer. But it is God's unmerited favor towards us to make the offer. That is the unmerited favor of God to make an offer to us that we do not deserve. So that offer is a gift from God. Is that the end of it? Do we just get grace? No, not quite. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2 reads, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. There is a stewardship of God's grace? Obviously so, or the Ephesians would not have heard of such, and Paul would not be addressing it. What does it mean to steward God's grace? It means the same as stewarding anything else. It's how you manage it, how you use it, how you take care of it, or how you neglect it. Grace is the unmerited favor of God that allows you to be saved by your faith. But you have to believe it is so, and it is expected that you act as if it is so. Otherwise, you're merely tipping your hat to grace, trampling the blood of Christ underfoot, and winking at conscious repetitive sin as you go by. Grace is the offer of redemption by the blood of Jesus, whereby one receives Holy Spirit of God, which empowers you to overcome sin. That's grace. Now, is any of us perfect? No, none of us is perfect. Being a Christian, having received grace and Holy Spirit that follows... That grace does not make one sinless. It should, however, be demonstrable that you sin less. Oh yeah, one more thing. It should mean that you do not enjoy that sin or return to sin in a habitual, repeating pattern. Sin should be easily recognized and identified immediately. Therein, one can repent of their sin. Now, repentance is not about you or me telling God how sorry we are that we have sinned. God already knows if we are truly sorry or not. What God is waiting on is to see if we turn 180 degrees away from that sin and resist the temptation of it. That's how it works. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Read, Submit therefore to God. Hmm. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now let's look at that a little more closely. There's a lot of meaning there that gets muddied over when one casually reads it. The truth of those words become opaque if one tends to listen to and believe the greasy grace and cotton candy gospel that is offered by many today. Submit, therefore, to God. 
Now, that's pretty simple. However, the question most people never ask is, submit how or submit what to God? The answer should be pretty obvious. Submit everything to God, yourself, your spouse, your children, your finances, everything. To submit is a total surrender, and that surrender is unconditional. When an MMA fighter puts another fighter in a submission hold, and the other fighter submits unconditionally, because the pain inflicted is too great to bear, any further continuation results in total annihilation. Or when Japan and Germany were no longer able to carry on, they surrendered to the Allies in World War II because the losses were too great to overcome. There was no further hope for their cause. They were crushed. Their surrender was total and unconditional. Any continuance would result in total annihilation. It is submission. That's the problem today. Many are afraid that they may have to submit something or someone greater than themselves. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What does that mean? It means that you deny your fleshly desires that lead you to sin. You resist the lies of the devil. Oh, it'll be all right. It's just this one time. No one will ever know. That one time has many a time led people into habitual sin. So how do we resist the devil? Remember, resist the devil and he has to flee from you. Well, you draw closer to God and Holy Spirit that abides within you. You do that, they will draw closer to you. Therein you are empowered to resist the devil and his lies, and he has to flee. In drawing closer to God and obeying his words, our hands are cleansed, our hearts are purified, and it becomes easier to resist. Let's, let's look at the last point of those verses. It says, you double-minded. Double-minded? What's that? That's greasy grace. It means those who think they can have their cake and eat it too. It means those who say they have received grace and continue in conscious, habitual, repetitive sin. That's double-minded. Now, as I've said, I'm not perfect, and neither are you. We all stumble occasionally. But when we do, we recognize the fact, identify the sin, and turn away or repent of that sin. Therein, we have not only received God's grace, but we experience his mercy as well. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 is a good example of this. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's pretty self-explanatory. But Paul goes even further to say that grace is not necessarily just for our benefit. Consider 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted to us. Jesus gave gifts. Holy Spirit's given gifts. They are holy callings, but they are not according to our works or desires. They are for God's purpose and his grace. They are not to lie in our pockets or increase the balance in our banking accounts. They are not so that we can carry on in perpetual sin, repetitive sin, conscious sin, and wink at grace as we go by. You see, there's that little thing about having faith to actually believe that it's so.
There's a little thing about the stewardship of grace. So much for the concept peddled by many authors, pastors, television evangelists that God exists to give us what we want to make our dreams come true. No, we exist to fulfill God's purpose through the grace that he provided and granted to us. Oh, you can live your best life now. That sound familiar? That's cotton candy gospel speak. Everything warm, sweet, and fuzzy. Let me ask the question. Are your dreams about what benefits you, or are they about what glorifies God? I've often heard it preached. You have not for you ask not. Everybody likes that sermon until someone like me pops up and says, yeah, but the rest of it says you ask and do not receive because you'd spend it on your own selfish pleasures. Let me address this cotton candy gospel a little further. Television and social media platforms are flooded with people, pastors, prophets, conveying messages like, God wants what's best for you. God is getting ready to promote you. God is opening doors and entering into new seasons on your behalf. And God is getting ready to promote you to new levels. Hmm. Really? I know and understand that most of this is a means of encouraging a believer who is down on their luck and struggling with issues of life. Encouraging others is a good thing. It's called hope. However, hope misplaced is not hope, it's deception. But God did say, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not for calamity, but to give you future and hope. That'd be Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Now that's encouraging. But let, wait, let's continue a little further through verse 13. Then you will call upon me and come to pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. How can you do that if you're continuing after having received grace and continuous, repetitive, habitual sin? You can't. See, God has plans for us all, and it's a holy calling for all of us. He has plans to prosper us, giving us a future and a hope. Does that mean that his plans are to give us everything we want or to make our dreams come true? It's not what it says. It says that he has plans. When we are obedient to the faith by which we have received grace, and when we steward that grace appropriately, then we will call upon him and pray to him, and he will hear us. We will seek him and find him when we search for him with all our heart. What are we seeking him for? For his grace and mercy. You see, God provided his son as a sacrifice, as a grace offering for us to be saved by the blood of that offering if we have the faith to believe it. That grace leads to an inheritance and a kingdom that is yet to come. That, to me, prospers me and gives me hope. What could I hope for in this world that can top that? A lot. And I mean a whole lot of preachers. Prophets too, I might add. Today would have you believe that being a Christian and living Christian life is a bit of rosy stuff with the finest down. I suppose it might be if you are said preacher or prophet. But that's not what the Word of God said. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, and listen carefully. It reads, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me read that again. Indeed, all who desire, 
all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wow. That doesn't sound much like a lot of the preaching and prophesying that I've heard lately. wonder what Jesus said about this issue. Let's have a look. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that sounds like past tense. Let's look further. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. All right, that sounds like present tense. Mark chapter 13, verse 3. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Now, that's definitely future tense. Now, why would we be hated by all because of his name? Could it be that we have been transformed by grace and no longer adhere to the ways of the world? think about that. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Does that mean that persecution is a blessing? That's what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. Rather prophetic, don't you think? That sounds pretty familiar in current society that we live in. Now just a note here. If your hope and your dreams are involved in things of this world, is the world going to hate you? I doubt it. But if your hope and dream are of the things of the kingdom to come, they're probably not going to take too kindly to that, if you stand by it. Let's look at John chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Again, rather prophetic. That doesn't sound to me as if I'm going to get everything I want in this life, and it certainly doesn't seem like a dream come true. John chapter 15, verse 25. But they have done this to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. Jesus was hated because he upheld the law. He did not bend to man or man's notions regarding the law. He knew the law. Could it be that he understood the law of God and that he did not attempt to twist the law to his advantage? Nowadays, the consensus is that the law has been abolished. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law for the sake of righteousness. John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Our peace is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our peace is not in the things that we want or in the dreams of things that we want. Those are things of this world. In this world, we have tribulation. But Jesus said that he has overcome the world. Therein, we have peace. And the list goes on and on and on. Mercy is marvelous, but it's not owed to us. More importantly, mercy is everlasting. Grace is not greasy, 
Grace is sticky, and we should stick to grace tighter than superglue. The gospel is sweet, but it's not cotton candy. It's not all sweet, warm, and fuzzy. And it's not about this life. It's about the life that is yet to come. Nothing of this world, of this life, can compare to what is coming. Marvelous mercy plus greasy grace equals a cotton candy gospel. It's just not so. I am the old watchman Ezekiel, and you have been warned. Well, that's all for now. I thank you for your time and participation. Our time together is precious to me. Please, come and visit me at theoldwatchman.com for show notes, articles, video content, book reviews, Bible study material reviews, and Bible study methods. It's my hope and prayer that you get to know me through this podcast. Through the website at theoldwatchman.com, I can get to know you. If you like the content, consider following The Old Watchman on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time. May nothing in your life be missing. Nothing in your life be broken. Shalom.